Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of today's Corner Kicks Premier League podcast with me, Sebastian Noren, Elliot Niblock and Polly Costell. It's international break, so it's an international special here at TCK. We're going to talk some World Cup qualifiers and uh, of course, since we're American, we'll start out with CONCACAF and the US men's national team. They picked up two wins. One over uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines and one over Trinidad and Tobago to finish top of their qualifying group and head into the next round. So before the... So Seb's American now. That's that's getting out of that. Honorary. Uh, I still have not sorted out my citizenship. Oh, you uh, haven't uh, memorized the Constitution? It's in the early, early planning stages. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit... You can't vote in this upcoming election? No, I cannot. That's not such a bad thing. Now, if Trump if Trump wins, we're gonna flee, uh, move back to Sweden. No, uh, I mean since I have a a a green card, that's good for a long time. I, I haven't really felt the need to get my citizenship, but with the little one popping out here, I figured it's probably time. So yeah, yeah. But let's get into the soccer though. Uh, before the game against the. Uh, St. Vincent's and the Grenadines. Well, I'm pretty sure you, they can't kick you out now. Now that you probably have not. Yeah, that's true. The little one's a U.S. citizen, so, so you can't get kicked out because yeah. she's Although, a right here. Trump, he'll find a way. He'll find a way. Uh, <laughs> Where there's a Trump, there's a way. Yes. You're Swedish. You're, you're well on his list. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so before the first game here, you were both sort of, you know, you weren't, Thinking that would be such a big win, you were going like two to was it two one one nothing or something like that. Whereas I called for a demolition job, and they surely delivered on that one. You know, yeah, I, I don't see. I yes and no. I mean, you know, props to Seb for getting its closest in terms of the score, but I think it was actually closer than the score line because you know it was nil nil for a while, and there was that player from Saint Vincent in what like the. 20th minute or something, or that diving header that Guzan saved, but he didn't know anything about it. I mean, he just, like, happened to be positioned well, and it bundled into him. But, like, I... I, The U.S. ran out huge winners in this match, but I don't think that they dominated it the way the scoreline might suggest. Calling that closer than the scoreline suggests is the most preposterous thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it took them a while to get to get to get into the game, which was expected. And this is why I I didn't say that. This is why I didn't think that they'd warm out because they're playing on a field that uh, is about as bumpy as a motocross track. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. They're playing in ninety degree heat with eighty percent humidity. It's going to take a while to get themselves into the game. They're playing against the team that you know just wants to foul you whenever they can. So it, it's going to take, you know, they had the travel nightmare from hell to get there. Um, just in terms of how they had to, how they had to travel to get there and, and how they had to, everything. It was going to take them a while to get into the game. Yes. Uh, they took that, they, they finally got their breakthrough and then they hit two more right away to go up 3 0 at halftime. Yes. I'll give you the beginning of the second half was. A little bit shaky as St. Vincent actually scored twice, and both times they were flagged for really close offside calls. Which I think the second uh, one was right. The first one was like they were they were both right, but you don't expect the Concacaf ref to get that right. <laughs> okay, touche. Um, and and all of a sudden it could have been three two because St. Vincent actually came out the first ten minutes of the second half, and they were they were the better team. And then the U.S. brought on Pulisic and question, and the game was over. They yeah. put that away so quickly. Yeah. They, yeah, so, I mean, they were the standouts for um, this international break by far for the U.S. in both matches. I think we can say that pretty clearly. Yeah. So 6 nothing in that game against St. Vincent. And then they followed that up with a 4 nothing win over Trinidad and Tobago at home. I would have actually said they would have won this game in the 4 nothing range, the Trinidad one, had we done a yeah. show before. Mm-hmm. Easy for me to say that now, but I would have said this one's a blowout. I mean, it's a home qualifier. That's mm-hmm. what the U.S. does. Like, yeah. They drew 
you know, a year ago when we were not playing well, we drew Trinidad and Tobago away from home, which is, you know, what you do in, in these away qualifiers in CONCACAF. And to, when, you, when you come home, the U.S. doesn't lose these games. Yeah, so 4 nothing in that one. Uh, Clestion found the back of the net again, like he did against St. Vincent. And then Josie Altador scored twice. And then Ariola got on the board as well. I'm a little concerned about that, not going to lie. About Josie about scoring? Altidore. That Josie Altidore just keeps scoring goals in these, in these World Cup qualifiers. That's, he's got 13 in 16 home games now. Yeah, and he's got 15 total, which I think they said was the record. So passing down. I, I think he has 16 now. Oh, yeah. You know what? He got the record with the 59th minute goal. And then, right. Because um, he has three. Yeah. He has three in 16 away World Cup qualifiers. And one of them was a penalty against St. Vincent and the Grenadines that Bobby Wood did all the work. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you watch this game last night, the first half was the U.S. coming and launching these these attacks through question and Bobby Wood and mostly Christian Pulisic. And then the ball would find itself to Altador or to, to Ali Bedoya. And it was like, it was like they were on a different level from the other three and not a good way and not in a good way. They were a level down and it, 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 it be, the match became so much more fun to watch when Ariola came on and when Jordan Morris was on. And all of a sudden it was like, all these guys were throwing the ball everywhere and, looked like they were all in tune with each other. In the first half, Altador and and, and um, Altador and Bedoya, it was kind of like, remember last year when I used to complain that United would attack and then it would die when the ball found its way to Marcos Rojo? <laughs> it was the same way. Ball finds its way to Altador and Bedoya, the attack dies. Altador scores goals because that's what he did. You know, one of them, he was just at the back post and he hit it in. Uh, I forgot how he scored his, the, the first goal he scored. Um, but nevertheless, you know, it wasn't exactly like Josie Altador created it. And if he's scoring goals, Quinton not going to drop him, but he just doesn't fit with this team anymore. They play a different style than what they used to. And, and that style doesn't fit Altador. Mm-hmm. Uh, in like, in terms of that kind of budding style that we saw with, you know, both once they came on in the second half against St. Vincent and, um, against Trinidad last night, the combination play of Kleisten and Pulisic was incredible. Um, I, I think that, you know, obviously they, they combined against St. Vincent for an assist and a goal both ways. But yesterday, what impressed me the most was the speed, accuracy, and decisiveness of their passing in transition, which is something that I've, I've been frustrated with the U.S. a lot. Uh, in years gone by is that, you know, I felt like they would be bringing the ball forward and it would just be, you know, like there would not, you wouldn't see the ball move from one player to the next while charging ahead. Right. And we saw that happen multiple times last night. And I think, I mean, when Christian Pulisic got the ball, it was look out and he immediately turned, immediately looked up, ran with the ball. He was so incredible to watch. And, I mean, it's, he's easily the best U.S. prospect since Donovan. I would yeah. say he's probably – I remember watching a young lion in Donovan. He didn't excite me the way Christian Pulisic did. Can we just, like, start an online petition for the Mallory Pugh-Christian Pulisic power couple right now? I mean, does Mallory Pugh want to rob the cradle? I mean, is, is Christian Pulisic Mallory, legal? Mallory, yeah. Pugh, Mallory Pugh is, like, maybe three months older than him. Oh, is she? <laughs> yeah. If that. She's got to move to Germany, though. Oh, okay. She turned 18 in April, so, yeah. Uh-oh. That's, uh, that's um, dangerous. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, this... I don't remember watching a kid this good ever. And that, that to me, was very exciting. I just... My concern going forward is... First, I wasn't a fan of how, because he started, Quinsman dropped Fabian Johnson back to left back. I thought Kellen Acosta played very well there mm-hmm. against St. Vincent. Uh, and Pulisic proved he not only can track back, but he works really hard at doing that. So next month when we get these two friendlies, I'd like to see him started on the left wing and, and Acosta start at left back to see how that pair works because playing Fabian Johnson at left back is just the biggest waste of his talent ever. He is so much better 
well, in the midfield when when he gets involved in the attack. Yeah, and one of I, again, I forget if it was their third or fourth goal, but he combined really well with all those players that we just named previously in that in that final third. And I agree that you know I think Acosta acquitted himself well, but it's not just how much Acosta acquitted himself in that position defensively, but how valuable Johnson is going forward to this U.S. team. Yeah, I mean, the whole point is if you can find a left back, it just it frees up Fabian Johnson because it's, it's, it wastes his talent to see him at left back. He's not interested in playing there. He drifts in and out of the games when he's back there. Uh, it's, it's disappointing, but I'm, I, my concern, again, it just, you know, question did really well. I think he's going to solidify himself as that third midfielder going forward because I don't think Jermaine Jones is losing his spot anytime soon. Um. My concern is Josie Altador because when you, at this point, Bobby Wood is our best striker. I think yes. we all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, Quint Dempsey is our most consistent goal scorer at the international yes. level. He scores against anybody in any competition. Josie Altador only scores in home games or in friendlies. And uh, I mean, and it, mostly, it, it, here's the thing though Bobby yes. Wood, his runs, his runs, they stretch the field, they open up all that space. Quint Dempsey thrived with that at the Copa America. He thrived when all that space was opened up for him. Josie Altador doesn't have the skill set to thrive when he's got all that space. The people that thrived with that space were Pulisic in question. Josie Altador is like a, you got to hit it to me in the box and let me finish. All that space that Bobby Wood created, Josie Altador is not doing anything with it. And I'm just worried going forward that if Clint Dempsey is healthy and Bobby Wood is healthy and Josie Altador is healthy, Bobby Wood's going to be the odd man out when mm. it should be Altador. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the thing with Altador too is that you you forget he's only twenty six going on twenty seven. He's so an he, old. He's, no, no, no. He's twenty six going on forty seven. <laughs> he's an old twenty six. I mean, the guy's been around since I was in high school, and when he was at that age, he was this fast pacey striker who was exciting to watch who could he could do things he could score he earned himself a trip to europe because he was that good and that exciting he's none of those things anymore yeah no i totally agree i i just think it's it's scary because he could be in this national team for a long time to come right, it's, it's he's one of those guys that just somehow has established himself like in the national team picture and uh, and like it's somehow been cemented as your first choice player that the team has to be built around. It's kind of like Wayne Rooney with England. Mm-hmm. It's like the manager just won't drop him, even though the team probably plays better when he's when he's not there. Yeah, and, that that is an interesting. I mean, I mean, that is a parallel that I hadn't really considered, but I think that's very accurate, with the exception that I think Wayne Rooney both was previously and is still a better player than Josie Altidore. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just saying in terms of but how they yeah, fit the yeah. team. It's, it's and a how totally the team fair structural parallel. And it's, is it safe for me to assume, okay, but at least you don't have to worry about Altidore at the World Cup because he's probably going to be injured? Yeah, that's a safe <laughs> assumption because he hasn't played a tournament for the U.S. in five years, which also makes the, begs the question, you know, can we see this guy play in a tournament before we spend two years prepping for that tournament, assuming he's going to be there when more often than not, he's not there. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, why not, why not use these games as a chance to get everybody else their chance and ready? I did yep. want to ask Elliot though, how do you feel about Sasha question just all of a sudden morphing onto this team and getting all the playing time with while your boy Nagby rots away on the bench? Well, you know, I so I still have a lot of time for Darlington Nagby, but I also think that you know when Cleston when he returned to MLS a couple years ago, um, I I remember writing because I actually I saw him play at Anderlecht in Belgium once. Um, I've got a good friend who's been a longtime season ticket holder there, and I was happened to be in Europe, and I mean I've always I've always rated him highly. And, you know, they were talking last night that it was a couple years between his appearances. I I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but I do know that he's a player. He's not old. He's, he's 30. And he'll he'll be 31, uh, let's see, holy God, in two days. <laughs> yes. Um, 
Okay, but he's not in the uh, he's not in the grind of Europe anymore. He's in the retirement league of <laughs> yes, the MLS. This is true. This is true. I mean, I honestly like I I love Darlington Nagby. I mean, he brought a top flight championship to the Portland Timbers when I didn't think that that was going to happen for uh, maybe several more years. But also, it's a meritocracy, and I think that you're right. I mean, you you know, you texted us yesterday, Paulie, and I think you're right that. Uh, Nagby's going to have a really hard time not just breaking into this team in terms of getting playing time, but keeping his roster position in this midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, especially the way Kleisten combined with Pulisic, and also especially the way that, you know, in terms of from a de- developmental point of view, I think that Sacha Kleisten probably has more to offer the development of what you said earlier, Paulie, perhaps the most exciting young American talent we've seen in a long time than Darlington Nagby does, right? So, yeah, it. I, I'm sad to see Nagby fall down the pecking order, but I also can't really argue with it because he didn't take his chances really well, and Pulisic took his chances better than anyone we've seen. You know, wh- when you first said that, that he's the maybe the most exciting a young U.S. talent that we've seen. I was, you know, because that kind of smacks of hyperbole, but I'm I'm trying to think of anybody else who even can hold a candle to him. And it's like, I I really can't. I mean, you know, it, it, you might be right on that. The I mean, biggest it's funny prospect when, since Freddie Adu. Oh, God. I was, I, was, I was thinking that name, and I was just like, no, <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. It's going to jinx it. I'm not going to say it. The, the difference was when Freddie Adu stepped on the field, you were like, oh, okay, like I guess this guy's going to be good eventually, but I'm not seeing it right now. Yeah. Pulisic, when he steps on the field, he's done nothing to show that the hype is unwarranted. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, no, every, and I felt, every game, it's jaw-dropping. I mean, and again, this is another player who I think is better than Freddie Adu, but I felt similarly about Gideon Zalalem in terms of being like, oh my gosh, he picked the U.S., this is so exciting, and then seeing him play and be like, okay, they're – Flashes of brilliance. There's clear technical ability, <laughs> oh, but oh, he's he picked, not. He picked the U.S. because he's never going to get Germany. Yeah, yes, that's also mm-hmm. true. I mean, let's be. But real. I mean, that's fine as long as you have more to choose from. Right, and right now yeah. the talent pool is deeper than it's ever been. But mm-hmm. yeah. to get to get back to to Nagby, the whole Nagby thing is, um, and I'm going to write about this later today. It's he just he, you're right he didn't take his chances and that's not how you break into a national team the way you break into a national team is you need to make yourself undroppable and uh Sasha question gets the recall because of injuries and uh Quinsman gives him a chance really because his skill set was you know he's been very good going forward but he could also be a holding midfielder so in that game against St. Vincent it was it kind of made sense to bring him on because he'd be that mature guy and he went out and in the two games he played he made himself undroppable it's you know um marcus rashford got his chance at united because of injuries and when he went out on the field he made himself undroppable that's how you do it it's not up to jürgen quinsman to go we have this darlington nagby guy um and I'm gonna, I have to give him chance after chance after chance to see if he sticks that's not jürgen quinsman's job and what what ultimately has happened is, and I know that there's a, a large subtext of, of national team fans who are constantly like, well, why aren't we seeing this young Nagby kid? First of all, Nagby's 25. He's not the youngest of the bunch. Um, but what has he done? You know, what's he done? He had a great run, a great playoffs last year, and pretty much wins the, tw- wins the MLS Cup for, for Portland. And that got him the call-up. That got him the call-up. But what's he done with the team? I don't know. I haven't seen him in training, but in training, it hasn't done anything that Klinsman, Klinsman, that to convince Jurgen Klinsman to start him or to give him time. Which question and Pulisic, all Klinsman has been talking about this week is how well they've been training. Yeah. He gets his time in the uh, Copa America, and when he did, he looked out of his element, uh, as opposed to Pulisic, who all of a sudden looked dangerous. Nagby looked out of his element. It also bec- it also makes me wonder though, all these guys on Fox and everything throughout the Copa America were, were begging for, for Nagby to, to start. I mean, did they, have, did they ever watch the kid play or were they just begging for Nagby to start, 
were they begging for Nagby to start because he was something different? He wasn't Jermaine Jones and he wasn't Beckerman and he wasn't Bradley. Is that why they were begging for Nagby to start? Because, you know, from what I've seen, he hasn't done anything. Well, and he yeah. hasn't done anything to, to be there. And I think when the November team is called up, if everybody's healthy, he won't be there because question's going to be taking his spot. Well, when you think about it, uh, you're going to have Bradley and, and Jones. Uh, Beckerman's going to be there. Uh, Caleb Janko is competing with, um, what's his face, with Perry Kitchen for that second number, for that backup to Kyle Beckerman role. And then, you know, the other one was Nagby, but it's going to be question. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think that on the one hand, I agreed with a lot of those Fox pundits last year and being like, you know, where where is Darlington Nagby on this team? Just because I, you know, frequently we like no, flat. And, and I, 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 I did too, because I said, look, the guy's exciting. I saw what he did in the MLS playoffs last year. You see what he's capable of doing. We want him in there. But I think there was a bit of an element of, you know, maybe we just want him there because it's different. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds about this because on the one hand, you know, as I said earlier, it's a meritocracy. As you should be. You watch the guy all the time. Yeah. He's your guy. Well, but I, but I also agree. I agree with you in that you really, you have to take your chances, but also at the same time, you have to give a player a little bit of time to settle in. I mean, he's only, speaking of citizenship, he's only been a U.S. national for what, like a little over a year, I think. Okay, and, and how so long has he that's, that's, all right, come on. That's like that's like saying when when Seb eventually gets his citizenship, and now we have to restart the clock and give him time to settle into America. No, no, I mean, no, no. But that, but he's he's only been he's only been able to be selected for the U.S. national team for a little over a year. And also, right. again, I'm speaking from watching him at the Timbers. It took a little while for him to settle in and really flourish. And I also think part of that has to do with the fact that he was playing wide a lot, and I still believe his best position is centrally. But the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, Christian Pulisic, young phenom aside, we've also been talking about Sacha Kleisten. I mean, this is a player who, you know, didn't play at all in the national team throughout his late 20s. And, you know, if that happens to Darlington Nagby, and then uh, he gets a chance and then seizes it the way Question has and, as you said, made himself undroppable in three years' time and then makes it to the World Cup in, you know, oh, God, let's hope it's not in Qatar. But in any case, like, he's got a lot, he's got a lot of time left. And I don't think that he's done enough. I mean, I won't – I'll be sad for him, though not sad for the Timbers' sake, if he doesn't make it to – the next roster, but I, you know, I won't hem and haw about it. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, I think, right. There were just fans, especially in the Cold America, that were screaming, you know, Nagy's the future. Why are we playing Jones? And it's, well, it's the Copa America. You're playing for now. You're, and Jurgen Klinsmann's job is always to win games now. Jermaine Jones is still our best central midfielder. And it doesn't matter what number is listed under his age. If you're the best one we got, yeah. you're the best one we got. And Darlington Nagby just, hasn't done anything to unseat anybody. Mm, and we'll you're right, maybe, maybe he might all of a sudden burst on and, and become a force in three years, but to think he's going to be the first choice guy over the next three years, that's hogwash and it's out. I would be interested to see in, in how the roster shapes up in October when we have those two friendlies and will he go with, like, let's just get the first team more minutes together or will he go with, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take Darlington Nagby and I'm gonna start him in this game to see what he's got. Yeah. Yep. So the U.S. they top Group Three there. Uh, Trinidad and Tobago also moves on from Group Two. We saw Costa Rica and Panama move on, and from Group One it was Mexico and Honduras. So yeah. before things kicks off in the next round, the U.S. will take on uh, Cuba in a friendly and New Zealand. So, what are your thoughts about these two qual or these two friendlies though ahead of? Because the fifth round of qualifiers kicks off mid-November, and before that in October we got those two friendlies. Uh, they play Cuba in Havana, and then they take on New Zealand in Washington D.C. Um, one of them is being done for historic and political reasons, and the other one is being done for monetary reasons. Expand. I know well, Cuba is the uh, political one, but New Zealand bringing money, really? Well, you're, they're doing it just so that they can host a game and make money off of it. Mm. 
But I mean, do, you, do you feel like New Zealand is the proper team to play right before you take, or not right before, but a month before you go up against Mexico and Costa Rica to kick off the next round of qualifiers? Well, who else are you going to play? Because everybody else is qualif- it has their own World Cup qualifiers. You're not mm-hmm. going to get another team to fly out to America uh, in the middle of their World Cup qualifying cycle. And everywhere is far from New Zealand, so it doesn't really matter where they go. Yeah, <laughs> and New Zealand, and I mean, New Zealand is the only team even remotely worth playing out of Oceania, mm-hmm. even though, like you know, Mexico played them in the playoffs four years ago, and they beat them by like an aggregate score of like nine to two. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. You want to play a friendly? That's who you're going to have to play, and and they're doing that again. I mean, you don't want to play a home game against against Puerto Rico. I mean, literally the only home game that you could play that might be a test would be playing Mexico in like Arizona or Southern California mm-hmm. or Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And I you're doubt- not going to play Mexico right before no. you have to play Mexico for real. No, that's true. Yeah. They kick off things in the fifth round, taking on Mexico in Columbus. I was actually reading stuff during this break though, about how bad internationally fr- international friendlies are for your FIFA ranking. And how they they hurt you, and how the European teams are starting to manipulate the system uh, in terms of how it, to better their FIFA ranking, and that's why. Uh, so Wales and Romania just stopped playing friendlies and only played their competitive their competitive games in terms of the European qualifiers, the World Cup qualifiers, and by winning those and not getting hurt by having unnecessary friendlies. They got their FIFA ranking high enough that that got them into pot one for World Cup qualifying. And mm-hmm. it greatly boosts their chances of qualifying for the World Cup. Yeah, that's smart. Which is also why UEFA is going to start this uh, Nations League or whatever they're, they're yeah. thinking of doing. Just yeah, so they we'll don't have to play friendlies there. anymore. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Europe and UEFA. Uh, first couple of games here are the first match day of qualifiers. Um took place and um yeah let's start things off in group a where my sweden got a 1-1 draw against the netherlands um really good goal by marcus berg i don't know if you saw that one um beautiful little chip that went right underneath the bar and then and then veshley schneider of course scored the equalizer for the netherlands uh sweden without Slatan Ibrahimovic, that was all the talk, of course. Um, they also missed a couple of other veteran players that called it quits after the Euros. And, I mean, this Sweden team is not great. <sighs> uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I, really is, no, I have a big cause for concern there. I mean, hopefully they can get the second place spot and possibly move into the second round, but... I don't see them having any chance of winning this. Another, you know, sort of, um, it's not a big shock, but France, they were held to a scoreless draw uh, against Belarus. Um, That's not a big shock? No, not really. Why not? I mean, it was it was on the road. It was, it was in Minsk. Uh, yeah, okay, but like, that, France that makes still beat Belarus. Mm. I mean, I... I, I mean, <laughs> I watched, I watched this game, and this game looked exactly like all of France's games from the Euros. It was, we're struggling to attack. Didier Deschamps completely misused Paul Pogba. Um, again, struggling to generate any chances. Occasionally, they do generate a chance that ends up on the head of Olivier Giroud, and it goes wide or off the post. Although one of them was off of his foot, but it was like a breakaway. Um, and it was just... Struggling to create anything unless you got your moment of magic from Antoine Griezmann or Dimitri Payet, and neither of those came. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, though. I mean, as long as they go with Olivier Giroud, yeah, I'm not surprised that they only got a draw away to Belarus. I don't understand how you keep going with Giroud, though. You have, you have Griezmann, who can play centrally. You have Martial, who can play centrally. If you play one of those guys centrally, you have Pyatt who can play on the wing. You have Sissoko who can play on the wing. Like, why is, why is Giroud still there? 
You have Lacassette. You have uh, what else do you have? I would probably go with Chingnak before I go with Giroud at this point. But no, <laughs> I would not do that because Chingnak is, <laughs> is just a younger Giroud. He's the same kind of player, and the whole point is that that kind of player doesn't fit this team. If you if you just sit and you play with Pogba and and Martial and Payet and Sissoko and Griezmann, that's like a dynamic team that could play one twos and and play through balls in behind the defenders. If you're playing Zignac or Giroud, you're you're trying to play it out wide and then cross it in. And it's a different style that doesn't exactly fit the rest of this team. No, that's true. Yeah, the only p- team that picked up a win in Group A, that was Bulgaria. They uh, took a 4-3 win over Luxembourg. Um, it, it was fun to see all the goals sort of pop up game. here. Yeah, it was a crazy game. So Luxembourg got the... Uh, Game-tying goal, 3-3 in stoppage time, and then Bulgaria got an even later goal to win it, um, which probably helped a lot of people if they were betting on that game because no one had Luxembourg having any chance in this one. So Bulgaria kicked things off with a win. Uh, In Group B, we saw Switzerland defeat Portugal 2-0. Portugal coming off their Euro 2016 win. And, yeah, Switzerland beat them 2-0. So... um, yeah, what Good. do you guys think of Portugal here? Good. I mean, really. Good. Now it's on you, Hungary, to get your game right and get that runner-up spot and for Switzerland to hold their serve the rest of the way. Yeah, Hungary, they got a scoreless draw away to the Faroe Islands. It bothers me because this group is so terrible that Portugal are probably going to get through. And I, I hope they make – I mean, if they're going to get through, I hope it's in the playoffs and not the automatic spot because mm-hmm. – I'd like nothing more than to see Portugal um, not make the World Cup. Like, you know, first of all, that's a nice jab at FIFA. You won't get one of your marketable stars, Cristiano Ronaldo, in the World Cup. Um, and two, it's punishment for having subjected us to that awful, awful football <laughs> that we had to watch for a month in France. Yeah. Uh, how dare you be ugly champions of Europe? Stay the heck exactly. out of the World Cup. Exactly. I was excited we, for the Euros, and Portugal ruined that. Yeah, we already suffered through once when Greece won, so it was bad enough that Portugal took it this time around. Uh, so yeah, Switzerland kicks things off with a win there. Um, that puts them in, as the favorites, of course. They have it in their own hands, um, and I think the Swiss are going to do well. Impolo you know, all scored. they did, all they did was hold serve. They, it's not like they, it's not like they go. They didn't go into Portugal and get the win. They, they won at home, mm-hmm. so they held serve. If they yes. can get a, if they can get, if they hold serve against everybody else and then they can get a draw, um, against Portugal, then they're in the driver's seat. But that yeah. game isn't until next next October. Yeah. Yep. Then Group C, Germany kicked things off. 3 nothing win over Norway. Thomas Müller found the net there twice. And um, Azerbaijan picked up a one nothing win over San Marino. And then we saw a scoreless draw between the Czech Republic and Northern Ireland. Uh, Germany expected to run away with this. And... Um, yeah, I don't see Azerbaijan staying in the hunt for the second place there, but no, no it's between it's between the Czechs and the Northern Ireland. But yeah, this actually might even be the group where they don't even get a runner up into the playoffs. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Then uh, Group D: Wales four nothing win over Moldova. Gareth Bale two goals and an assist, and he's getting close to that all time scoring record for Wales. He's uh, gonna shatter. He's- He's just yeah, I think he's four, four goals behind the Eros. He plays more games. Yeah, of yeah. course. Well, and, I mean, he doesn't just play more games. He's also one of the most talented players in Welsh history. Like, that's, that's obvious. Yeah, I think, let's see. At I'm best, he can be the second best. Okay, okay. <sighs> All right. I'm not going to get into that. Oh, yeah. So Ian Rush, he had 28 goals in 73 caps. Uh, Gareth Bale right now is on 24 goals in 62 caps. Oh, yeah, he's going to shatter the record. Let's not call him the best Welsh player ever just yet. Okay. Well, the cer- he certainly has the talent to be so if he's able to see it through to the end of his career. But- he could have. He could have. Followed the footsteps if he would have, you know, made the move to Manchester, but he chose 
chose to go to Real Madrid. And yes. he won um, a bunch of stuff his first year there, so I don't think yes. he made any call mistakes. Me when, call me when he's got 13 league titles, God only knows how many FA Cups, two Champions Leagues. Well, he I don't think he'll have any, any FA uh, Cups at the Bernabeu. <laughs> Because he's he's playing he's playing in a two team league and he's not even winning league titles there. Yeah, well, can we we can? I mean, it was a two team league for most of this century so far. But like, we've got to give Atletico Madrid a little bit of props at this point for making it at least a two and, dis- and a half. An, yeah, an, <laughs> two and a half. That's that sounds right. good. He, the point is, he doesn't even have. He's not even winning league titles. Well, okay, like, and then back to Wales okay. themselves. Wales played very well without Aaron Ramsey because on our last show we talked about, you know, are they going to be able to yes. put it together? Because they really were not ticking without him in the Euros, but they clearly were. You know, I, I don't know if it's because they were able to plan for it better because they knew going into even camp that mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be there, but they looked, you know, the. Uh, very good team. Granted, against probably not quite as strong opposition yeah, they as they were playing home, in the European Championship. They played at home to Moldova, yeah, which is yeah, okay. like playing at home to Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. I think Trinidad would beat Moldova, actually. <laughs> All right, there you uh, go. Uh, Austria, they took a 2-1 to win over Georgia. And uh, Serbia and Ireland played a 2-2 draw. This, so, all right, the, yes. that's the game you got to focus on. Is this was a missed opportunity for Ireland because I think Ireland are the team that might be able to sneak into the playoffs, but they are not the favorite to do so. That would obviously be Austria, and they would have mm-hmm. to compete with Serbia also. And uh, if you look back to 2014 qualifying to get to the playoffs, you really you, six wins is kind of the magic number. Six wins and then some draws here or there. Uh, if you're the Republic of Ireland, are you going to beat Wales once, even? Are you going to beat Austria? So if you can get those six wins against Serbia, Georgia, and Moldova, that's really what you needed. And they had the lead in this one, and then they kind of they kind of self-destructed. And, I mean, it was the, it was an away game, so they didn't lose any points at home. But, ugh, like, th- this is one where you got to feel like this makes their road – that much tougher. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Moving on to Group E, uh, we saw Denmark take a one nothing win over Armenia. Christian Eriksen scored in that one, who uh, just signed a new deal with Tottenham. Uh, Poland only got a 2-2 draw against Kazakhstan. They were up 2 nothing, but then uh, Sergei Kishnichenko scored twice in the second half to... Uh, you know, steal a point for the Cossacks there. And then Romania and Montenegro played a 1-1 draw. So good for Denmark there with Poland dropping points early. I mean, is there more of a shit group than this one? I mean, it's not terrible. It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, pretty bad. bad, but... It's pretty bad. And I, I mean, this I, is the one where it's like, oh, one game, don't look at it, because this one's going to shake up exactly how you expect it to. Poland's going to win the group. Denmark and Romania will compete for the second spot. Mm, then Group F, that's England's group. They uh, came away with the one nothing win over Slovakia on the road. Late, late winner by Adam Lalana. Uh, Lithuania and Slovenia played a 2-2 draw. And Scotland got a 5-1 win away to Malta. Uh, Robert Snodgrass with the hat-trick. So um, Scotland tops the group. He's already by... having himself a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Scotland tops the group there on goal difference. But uh, let's talk about the England game. Let's get into depth in that one. Um, I mean, we, I, I feel like we've seen this in the Euros, too. I mean, a lot of possession from England, not really threatening going forward that much. They had some opportunities, but... You know, it really looked like they were going to have to leave with a draw there, and then Lalana scored with, you know, basically the last kick of the game. The last player you would expect to score. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No <laughs> I mean, kidding. This, looked, this looked like tournament England as opposed to qualifying England. Because mm-hmm. those are two different teams. Qualifying England can beat anybody in Europe, and they'll do it handily because uh, you can't be overhyped heading into a tournament if you don't do well in qualifying. Um, kudos to America for making it oh so difficult to watch this game in America. 
not putting it on TV, like, because there's, I don't know, college football or something, as if ESPN doesn't have, like, a million channels that they could have put this one on. Money makes the world go round. Yeah, but, like, just put it on ESPN News. Like, throw it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Two, like, did I, anybody even have the rights to it in the U.S.? Was it BN it was on Sports ESPN or something? Three. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was on, on, it was on online. No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah it wasn't, the, you know, like, I was watching on my phone, but then when I needed to use my phone, I had to shut it off, like... Why, why don't you watch on your computer? I wasn't home. Ah, too shame. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, my computer could barely run a Skype call. Ah, okay. That's right. <laughs> we, 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 we both we know. know. <laughs> and also, I mean, part of the entertaining, uh, part of the entertaining factor of this game was going on Twitter and, and seeing all of the, um, the media, the English media, complaining about how England looked like 30 minutes into the game and then seeing the other people go, like, we're 30 minutes into a new era and the media is already complaining. Like, this isn't going to help the problem, help solve the problem. This is, like, part of the problem. Mm-hmm. The lofty expectations on the media. Now, one of the problems was Wayne Rooney just drifted all over the field. And where the hell was this guy playing? And Arlo White said... <laughs> He tweeted, like, at halftime, Big Sam is going to have to tell Rooney where to play, and I think he will. And then after the game, Big Sam was like, no, I don't tell Rooney where to play. Yeah, it was his, yeah, the, the yeah, direct quote was, range. it's not for me to say. It was like, it is exactly for you to say. It is literally your job. Oh, my God, Sam. Uh, you are, I mean, look, every England coach is, like, bound to get fired within two or four years, but you are making it so <laughs> difficult to keep your job after two years because you didn't do the heart, like you're letting Wayne Rooney dictate this team and there's no progress to be made. Like to go back to it, it's like with the United States, how we want to get younger, but there's no progress to be made with the U S if we keep starting Josie out the door whenever we can, like you got to stop starting Rooney unless you put him in a set position and he's the best player at that position. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, one thing that could help Big Sam out is a uh, young forward named Marcus Rashford. Yeah, I was he, just uh, going to say, like... Yeah, he, he made... He, he made, It is England under-21 debut yesterday and scored a hat-trick against Norway as England took... A, or the young England team took a 6-1 victory as they kicked off uh, under-21 European Championship qualifiers. I mean, we'll we'll talk more about Rashford and his the club role that he'll have going forward um, on Friday before the Manchester Derby. But I was going to say, one of the reasons that they left it late is because he played a bunch of average players or good players that weren't on form. You know, Harry Kane is a shell of himself right now. Yeah. Um, Lallana is an average player at best. Raheem Sterling is your only player that's on form. And, I mean, where was he during this game? Mm-hmm. Rooney. Is he an average player right now, or is he still a good player that's just on terrible form? I don't know. I can't answer that. But, you know, Daniel Sturridge comes on. But Sturridge has been average and on mediocre form recently. You know, like, at a certain point, you should have looked to your team and been like, look, we got this 18-year-old kid who's playing really well, uh, who not only has been playing well whenever he's been given the chance in the preseason or um, – or in that 20 minutes against Hull. Because it's not like Rashford's just been scoring goals because he's been standing in front of the net and finishing them. He's actually looked really good. He's been doing. He's been making great moves on the ball. He's been composed on the ball. He's been challenging defenders. He's been doing everything you want to see. And he's been playing well. And more, more than that, he has more confidence right now than any English striker. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, it, you know, how long are you going to keep him out of the team? I mean, I feel like he should be. I. It's hard to say too, though. I mean, if he sits on the bench here for a month, then yeah, maybe exactly. he won't. He won't make well, the uh, the next squad. But but he's not going to be on the bench for the next month because we have three non-league games that yeah. you have to think he's going to start in. Mm-hmm. We have three non-league games. He's going to play a role on Saturday in the Manchester Derby. Now, again, I understood. The logic of if he's not going to play for the senior team, we should he should start for the U21s and he should play for them. Yes. I understood that logic, but again, you can make the argument that at this moment, right now, he should be starting over Harry Kane, and that would make England better. And 
to go back to what we were talking about um, about the U.S., yeah. what he is doing is he's making himself undroppable. You know, oh, you want to you want to put me at the U21s? How about here? I scored a hat trick. Like I'm already above this level. Like mm-hmm. this level isn't going to fit me. Like what does playing against the U21 competition that's not going to help my development because I'm already above that level. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too. I could see him, you know, if there was a tournament with the under-21s and he's, yeah. you know, available, then, yeah, pick him, of course. But, yeah, at this point, even if he starts on the bench for United and plays, you know, an average, let's say an average of 20 minutes per game, I still think that that's enough for him to warrant a spot in the England squad right now. Because as you were saying, Harry Kane is under the ice. Daniel Sturridge is one, you know, step away from getting injured again. And he's not really been that good either when he's played. So, yeah, Rashford should be in the England squad. And you could make a very good case that he should be starting. Daniel Sturridge is literally the anti-Josie Altidore. He's talented, uh, but he doesn't score at the international level. He's always injured, but he always misses the in-between tournaments. And he's always somehow fit for the tournaments. Mm-hmm. Which, in which case, he doesn't play. But, yeah... Uh, uh, now again, Harry Kane always—he never plays well in August. And uh, I remember Wayne Rooney used to be like this too. He used to start the season slow, and then September, October, he would all of a sudden go on fire. So yeah, there's a good chance that Kane could score four goals over the next month. And if he does, by all means, you keep your starting place. But with the way that international football is set up during the year, where you're playing two games once a month, it's very easy for for Big Sam to look and be like, I'm just going to go with the informed guy and until Harry Kane and say, you know what, I'm going to start Rashford in these games. And then when Kane goes on a tear in October, when you reconvene in November, it's easy for him to be like, I'm going to start Kane now because he's on form. Yeah. Well, the thing is too, that after the way that they got knocked out of the Euros, I mean, he kept pretty much the same squad. He made a couple of small differences. He kept the same squad and put the same team out there. Yeah. He made three changes to the starting 11 that got knocked out by Iceland. And, you know, I feel like Rashford is one of the players that could leave the Euros not feeling too bad about the way he performed. And he could actually provide some, you know, some fresh air into this team. But, I I mean, they can't be feeling good. I mean, yes, they can feel good that they came away with the win, but they can't be very happy with the way they played. No, and, I mean... Would it be that, yeah, it's not ideal for him to not play centrally, but seeing as this is probably going to be his role with with United uh, over the next year, at least, would it be that bad to move Raheem Sterling to the right side, drop Lilana, and play Rashford at least on the left? That's where he played at the Euros, and he was still probably England's best player. And again, what's the most important thing that a striker needs? confidence and there's no there's no striker in england that's more confident than this kid right now no no that's true well we'll see what al does here in the future he's got about a month to figure out if he wants to bring rashford or not uh over to group g where uh spain took a eight nothing win over Liechtenstein. Uh, Diego Costa scored twice, David Silva scored twice, and Alvaro Morata scored twice. And then Vitolo and Roberto also got goals for Spain. So nice little win there for them. Italy, they took a 3-1 win over Israel in Haifa. Uh, Graziano Pelle, Candreva, and Immobile with the goals for the Italians. And then Albania took a 2-1 win over Macedonia. So... That's yeah. a straightforward group. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> these are definitely the three teams that are going to be battling for those for those top two spots here. I don't think Albania has enough. I think it's going to be Spain and Italy, but Albania is a pretty good side. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. What else are we going to say about Spain? I know Costa came out and took a dig at the Spanish media for being overly critical Uh you know, over his play for the national team. And he said that, you know, if he, he was born in Spain, he wouldn't be uh, giving as much grief or, or if he played for Barcelona or Real Madrid. Um, is there something to that, seeing that he was a, you know, he's born in Brazil and he, then he got his Spanish citizenship and then he got picked for the Spanish national team? 
I don't really know. I mean, I, I honestly, I like the degree to which he's getting more flack because he was born in Brazil. I really don't know that. I don't know enough about the Spanish media to think if that's you know playing the race card or a legitimate criticism of you know some maybe subtly racistly motivated abuse. I don't think that it has anything to do with him not playing for Barcelona or Real Madrid. I mean, you know, look at the way the Spanish media tears those players to pieces on a regular basis. I mean, maybe not from, you know, a national team perspective, but, like, he would be getting ripped by the Spanish media just as much, if not way more, if he was playing at Camp Nou or the Bernabeu. Mm. And I mean, the thing is, too, that he hasn't been that good for Spain. I mean, just look at it. I mean, three goals and 12 caps for Spain. I know it's hard to play striker for Spain with the way they play, but still not good enough. Group H, Bosnia and Herzegovina. They kicked things off with a 5-0 win over Estonia. Um... Edin Dzeko scored in that one. Spahic scored twice. Uh, then Belgium, they took a 3-0 win on the road against Cyprus, kicking things off well there for Roberto Martinez, the new national team coach. Uh, Romelu Lukaku scored twice, and then Carrasco also find himself on the score sheet, so good for them. And then Greece took a 4-1 win over Gibraltar, so good for Greece to finally win a game. They won an away game, so that puts them in a good spot. Yeah, against Gibraltar. Well, I mean, you have three terrible teams in this group. Yeah, but I think Gibraltar could be the worst side. Well, again, I mean, we've have we spoken about Gibraltar here about the size of Gibraltar? Uh, not sure we have. It's a peninsula off the bottom of Spain where they're the airport runway is wider than the actual country. <laughs> the uh, widest point the widest point of the country is all the way up north. It is the airport runway. Yeah. Let's see. They most, have a most of the country is just a giant rock. Yeah. Population thirty two thousand one hundred and ninety four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the town that I come from right outside New York City is has a larger population. And we are a town, not a city. Mm-hmm. I think my apartment complex might have more people. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're minnows, but yeah, definitely they could be the weakest side in Europe. Um, they do have a stadium, though. Yeah, cool. that's good. I for mean, them. they've got they've got money for being small. That's for sure. Yeah, they've got a stadium. They've got yes, they are. They have a very good GDP there. Um, mm. They've got a stadium. They've got a semi-professional league that has a Champions League playoff spot because they they made waves when when their when their team beat uh beat Celtic in the first leg earlier this summer. But yeah, they're they're Gibraltar. They're, yeah, you know. they have the thirty sixth so, so, yeah. highest GDP per capita in the country or in the world. Yeah, they have a rich, the world, they have yeah. a pretty rich country. It's just, you know, it, the country is a city. Yes. Yeah, but it's going to be Belgium or Bosnia and Herzegovina that takes the top spot here. We'll see how Belgium fares under Martinez. If he can do a better job than his predecessor. Uh, Group I, the last one. Uh, Iceland, they um, you know made some waves at the Euros. They started things off with a 1-1 draw away to the Ukraine. Uh, Finn Bugason scored oh, wait, for them. Gibraltar yes. plays their qualifying matches in Portugal. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yep. So Iceland, 1-1 draw against the Ukraine. Yarmolenko scored for Ukraine. Uh, Finland and Kosovo, a 1-1 draw there as well. Kosovo, their first ever um, game as a you know member of UEFA. Mm-hmm. Um, Valon Borussia scored the first goal for them ever, which is kind of cool. So they got a 1-1 draw against Finland, and then Croatia and Turkey played a 1-1 draw as well. So wide open in this group. Uh, Rakitic scored for Croatia, and uh, yeah, how do we say his name? Hakan Salhanuglu? Salhanuglu? 
Uh, Seb, you're our resident pronunciation specialist because yeah. you're yeah, you're the greatest linguist between the three of us. I'm telling you, these Turkish names they really trip me up, <laughs> and it doesn't help with the uh, phonetic thing here. Turkish pronunciation: Hakan. Okay, so it's Shahanuglu. Okay, whatever. Um, yeah, one one right there as well. So wide open in Group I. Um, so that's Europe. Let's, yeah, but if uh, you're Iceland, you got to be ruining this. Iceland had a chance to go up two three nil early against mm-hmm. against the the Ukraine, but getting an away game in an empty stadium, I mean, that's a big chance for for three, not easy points, but easier than having to go you know to a Ukraine with a bunch of fans. Uh, if you're Iceland, that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, same thing with the Croatia game, also played in front of an empty stadium. In Croatia, right? Because their mm-hmm. fans have been terrible people recently. Right? Yes. Yeah, they have. A and that, very is that going to last all through qualifying? I have no idea how many games they were. Um, two home games, so they play the next one against Iceland in front of no uh, spectators as well. And Ukraine only had that one uh, game without any people. And they were also. Let's see. They the Ukraine cannot play any of their home games in or at the Arena Lviv because of racist behavior. So, yep, that's that. Moving on, let's go to uh, South America. Yeah, Messi's com- retirement yeah. from international football lasted mm, eight weeks, nine weeks. Yep. Yep, and good for uh, Argentina that it came back as he scored the lone goal of the game against Uruguay. Argentina took the one nothing win there on September 1st. Yeah, that was a big three-pointer, too, because now they're just one point clear of Uruguay at the top of that group, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you got Uruguay topping with 16 points, and then you got Brazil and Argentina on 15 points, and then you got Colombia in fourth with... 13 points. Ecuador, 5th, 13 points. Then Paraguay, 12 points. Chile, 11. Bolivia, 7. Peru, 7. And Venezuela, 2 points. So, uh, yeah, those September 1st games, Bolivia, they got a 2 nothing win over Peru. Colombia, 2 nothing win over Venezuela. Brazil, 3 nothing over Ecuador. Uh, Neymar and Gabriel Jesus with the goals there. Uh, Jesus got the two goals. Neymar got one goal on a penalty, and then Paraguay got a two-to-one win over Chile. Um, the games played most recently, though, uh, on September sixth, Uruguay they got a four-nothing win over Paraguay. Cavani two goals there. Uh, Venezuela got a two-two draw against Argentina. Um, you know, I know it was in Venezuela, but still, uh, and they were up two-nothing against Argentina, too, we should say. That's uh, eh, not bad at all. Yeah. Chile, Bolivia, scoreless draw. Brazil, 2-1 to one victory over Colombia. Uh, Neymar with the winner there. And then Peru took a 2-1 to one win over Ecuador. I watched like 30 minutes of the Brazil game last week, uh, whenever, whoever they played against, and mm-hmm. it took about 45 seconds for me to be like, oh, right, this is why I don't watch Conmebol matches. Yeah, so they're almost halfway through here. Um, and, you know, I don't know. What do you think about Chile? I mean, three wins, two draws, and three losses so far. I would expect two, more from them. Two Copa Americas, though. Yeah. yeah. They win when it counts. Yeah, I mean, and obviously they'll be extremely disappointed should they fail to qualify for the World Cup, but... You know, like, they've also had the most celebrated and decorated short burst in the history of their national team in the last couple of years, so... They qualified for the Confederations Cup, though, so, like, they don't need to qualify for the World Cup as, as just another <laughs> chance to qualify for the Confederations Cup. I mean... Do we think... Here's a question. Do we think that there's going to be an outpouring of violence and racist abuse in Russia, even during the Confederations Cup? Yes. 100%. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that was oh, yeah. unanimous and immediate agreement. 
you, if you're going to sit there and be like, wait, how are we allowing, how are we allowing this World Cup to happen? Yeah. No, I mean, the thing with Chile is that they've been pretty leaky in defense. They've scored 13 goals, which is pretty good, but they've also allowed 12 goals. So, you know who's not rooting for Chile to make the World Cup? Who? Arsenal fans. Ah. Uh, yeah. 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 Although, yeah. <laughs> no, one, no, one complains. no one complains about players having to play in the summer and play so many matches more than Arsenal fans. The same way that no one complains about having to travel to European matches before Premier League matches more than Spurs fans. Well, I think that's sort of ingrained because of Wenger, because he's been very vocal he's when it fresh. comes to letting players play for the international teams. So, um, I throw the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's South America. I, you know, do you think it's going to change a lot in standings here? I mean, I, I could yeah. see Chile getting past Paraguay and Ecuador, maybe even Colombia. But... I, I mean, Chile or Chile could. Chile, I mean, as they've shown us, they could beat anyone in South America. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's just a question of putting it together at the right time and making sure that they don't get a little bit jaded having just won two Copas or Copas two champion South American championships in like rapid succession, you know, mm-hmm. Chile's going to, they'll be fine. They're going to, they'll overtake those guys. Uh, they haven't, they haven't done their away trip to Ecuador yet. That's always a tough game, but you know, they still have, gee, I mean, this is a marathon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 18 yep. games. is like, that's a season. Yep. It's half a season. <laughs> No, it's a lot for sure. (laughs) Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. If the U.S. played 18 games in the World Cup qualifying, like, group stage, I'd be ecstatic about that. But, but yeah, Chile, they'll be there when it counts. They're they're two points out of of safety. Yeah, and I I think that of of all those teams, you know, I mean, Paraguay is a strong side, but I still, Chile is going to be clear favorites in that. True, true, true. Okay, let's move on to the uh, AFC, the Asia, and they're in their third round of qualifiers right now. Uh, it's a two-group system, six teams in each group. Uh, September 1st, they had a couple of games here. South Korea defeated China 3-2. Uzbekistan took a one nothing win over Syria, and Iran took a 2 nothing win over Qatar. Uh, in the other group, Australia beat Iraq 2 0. Uh, United Arab Emirates took a 2 1 win over Japan. That was and a surprising Sa- result for me. Yeah, and Saudi Arabia took a 1 0 win over Thailand. And then they also played games yesterday. And in the first group, it was a scoreless draw between China and Iran. It was a scoreless draw between Syria and South Korea. And then Uzbekistan took a 1 0 win over Qatar. And then in Group B, Saudi Arabia, 2-1 to one win over Iraq. Japan, 2 nothing win over Thailand. And then Australia edged out a one nothing win over the United Arab Emirates. So Who setting things up. I, you know, I don't know. So looking at Group A, Uzbekistan on top, uh, six points. Then Iran and South Korea on four points each. And then China and Syria with one point, And Qatar at the bottom with zero points. Uh, group B, Australia tops the group six points, uh, leads on goal difference as Saudi Arabia also have six points. Then Japan on three points, United Arab Emirates three points, and then Iraq and Thailand on zero points. So the two the two top teams in each group, they qualify for the World Cup, and then the uh, third place teams go to a playoff, the uh, fourth round. Here's the uh, polyquestel breakdown. Uzbekistan, they'll get through because they're at the top of the group. Iran, they're going to get through because um, Carlos Kiros is their manager. He's a very good manager. Australia is probably the best team in Asia, so they'll get through. I guess the Saudis and the, J- the Japanese will battle it out. Maybe the UAE could step in there, but uh, whoever has to play South Korea in or Iran in the fourth round, we'll lose because South Korea, historically good. They'll get through. 
And that was Asia. That was Asia. Asia. Yep. Well, well, I think we're going to round off things here. We'll talk uh, Premier League preview on Friday as uh, the league gets back into action. We'll, of course, talk about former Arsenal legend Nicholas Bentner. He's finally finding a new club in England. So we'll talk about that and much more on Friday. Until then, you can always follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. Polly is P. Christel WFAN. And Elliot is Keats was better. And then today's CK is the main Twitter handle for the site. Until then, have a good one and a good bye. You could not write a script like-